are listening to The Addiction Files, where we discuss evidence-based treatment, clinical pearls and resources, while striving to destigmatize the treatment of addiction in our medical culture and save lives. We are The Addiction Doctors, Dr. Darlene Peterson and Paula Cook. Welcome to this episode of The Addiction Files. We are starting a new series on addictions update, where we are talking about what's new in the field of addiction medicine. We will be discussing new studies, new articles, and findings. Today, we are discussing a new study on effectiveness of Alcoholics Anonymous and 12-step facilitation. The title of the article is Alcoholics Anonymous and 12-Step Facilitation Treatments for Alcohol Use Disorders, a Distillation of a 2020 Cochrane Review for Clinicians and Policymakers. From Kelly and Avery et al., this was published in the Journal of Alcohol and Alcoholism in July of 2020. This discussed the effectiveness and cost benefits of Alcoholics Anonymous 12-Step Facilitation Interventions for Alcohol Use Disorder. Briefly, we will discuss the history of Alcoholics Anonymous and 12-step facilitations and the difference between those. We will review the key points and findings, what this means, and how this applies as a treatment option for your patients. Paula, tell us about Alcoholics Anonymous and 12-step facilitation. Great. Thanks, Darlene. Yeah, so Alcoholics Anonymous is a real force in the recovery community. It has been around since 1935. It was founded by two gentlemen in Akron, Ohio, Bill Wilson and Bob Smith, who called themselves alcoholics and found themselves in dire need, basically, of fellowship of each other in terms of understanding the nature of alcoholism and needing sober support. Bill was a New York stockbroker and he found himself in a place of sobriety and Bob was actually a doctor. He was a surgeon. Bill realized that he could probably mentor people and maintain his own sobriety by working with people who were still struggling with their own addiction. When Bob and Bill met, they found themselves face to face and Bill kind of started teaching Bob about what he thought alcoholism was. Bill became interested in the notion that alcoholism was a disease. They started this fellowship that then began to grow and, um, began the nucleus of the first AA group in 1935. Now to Fast forward, it took shape then and attracted people who were in a similar situation. So alcohol, people who had alcoholism, as it was then known, who needed similar sober peer support. And it grew based on this notion that if you were an alcoholic and you wanted to get sober, your best mentors and chance at recovery were those people who were like you. Bill wrote a book in 1939, which is their basic textbook for Alcoholics Anonymous. It's gone on to be known as the the big book. It's the Bible of Alcoholics Anonymous, and you can still get it, pick it up today in its original form. It's been revised a little bit, uh, but it's a fascinating read, and I would really encourage anybody involved in medicine or mental health, behavioral health, or substance use care to read this book. It gives you a fascinating look into what we encourage our patients to read and to engage in. Uh, from the book is described 
stories of people's sobriety journey and also recommendations of how people can get sober by living or moving through the 12 steps. So alcoholics famous 12 steps. If you take the addiction medicine or addiction psychiatry boards, you have to memorize, right, Darlene, you and I, we we had ways of memorizing them. Obviously, our peers who are in recovery know these steps if they're involved in AA, but the steps basically require you to go through them sequentially. Person who enters AA or any one of the family of addiction anonymous um, mutual aid groups such as Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous have similar, they're all basically the same steps, but you start at step one and you go to step two and then step three. You don't just go, oh, well, I'm going to work on step six or I'm going to work on, um, you know, nine, uh, making amends. And the first step is to admit that that we are powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. And then, you know, you go through. So it's, it's a spiritual program. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be religious. Now, keep in mind that Alcoholics Anonymous was formed in 1935 by two white men. And so it is steeped maybe in some of the culture of the time. And the 12 steps do mention God with a capital G. And so there are many of our patients who don't subscribe to that particular theological system. And you'll hear that as a resistance, right? Oh, I don't believe in God, or I don't go to church, or I don't want to go to AA because it's all God. My addiction mentor used to say it doesn't have to be God. It it can be any kind of universal presence or power outside of yourself. And surely you can delve into the nitty gritty of AA and speak to people who go to AA, what it means to find meaning and what God God means in AA. It's actually a very big topic, but of, of interest for people who are in AA or who refer, who refer people to AA. AA is, it's now a multi-million person organization that exists all over the world. It has spread across diverse cultures. It operates in pretty much every part of the systems and, and there are specialty groups like groups for LGBTQ folks, groups for single folks, old folks, young folks, pretty much women's groups, you can uh, find an AA group that will likely meet your needs or meet your patient's needs. There are closed groups, open groups, and all kinds of groups. And all of these things are accessed through the um, international website, aa.org. Probably two plus million people that are involved in AA. And with COVID, AA in-person groups were pushed online, which I think was probably both a, a good and a bad thing. I mean, obviously it was a bad thing to push people into isolation and away from their in-contact communication, but it made groups somewhat more accessible to some. So that's AA. It's it's a in typically outside of COVID, it's typically an in-person meeting type organization where they are people meet that's not facilitated by professionals. It's not a for-profit organization. It doesn't make money. Uh, the AA directories list the meetings and, and they're available based on the listings according to the 12 traditions, certain rules and governances by which AA must operate. Now, you mentioned 12-step facilitation. The paper that we're going to mention talks about 12-step facilitation, and I think it's important as healthcare providers and professionals to understand a little bit of the difference between AA and 12-step facilitation. So when we talk about AA, we generally are referring to this 
meeting-based organization where people will go. They will really only have one requirement, and that is to have a desire to not drink anymore or to not use a substance anymore or an addic- be involved with their addiction anymore. There are multiple types of anonymous groups, like we said, but you do not have to go to your specific anonymous group. For example, if you are a substance user where heroin is your main substance, you are more than welcome at Alcoholics Anonymous group. The meetings themselves serve as the main platform for the organization, and the organization is built on abstinence, absolutely working the 12 steps, operating from the 12 traditions, and heavily utilizing sponsors. So other members of the group take on and sponsor each other, those who are younger in sobriety. And it's a method, as we will discuss, that has been found to be immensely successful. 12-step facilitation is based on the philosophy of Alcoholics Anonymous, but it is actually a therapeutic approach, a manualized, guided treatment approach that was developed for the use in psychotherapy research protocols for the treatment of alcohol use disorder. So it was developed to take this notion of using this, it's a spiritual program of a acknowledging that you are powerless to alcohol and that by acknowledging you're powerless and then moving through the stages of recognizing that you have it has caused negative consequences, making amends, moving through to service, people actually are more likely to stay abstinent. Groups wanted to make this an actually um, usable therapeutic approach. I think it was Yale University and NIDA that developed 12-step facilitation back in the day, like in the early 1990s. They did as they took the concepts, they made a protocol so that if you are operating an IOP or you're an individual therapist, you can take a group of people or an individual and actually give them 12-step facilitation. It is an approach with basic principles. The principles or different topics that you review during 12-step facilitation are things like acceptance of your of the addiction, triggers, surrender, getting active in 12-step programming, etc. So when we talk about AA and 12-step facilitation, they're very much the same. One is based on the other, but one is a more formalized therapeutic approach that's used in clinical settings, and one is a public format that's used all over the world, run by AA, by AA people, but not clinical people. Does that distinction make sense, Darlene, that explanation? That clunky 101 explanation makes sense? Yes, yeah, and I, I think that makes think, sense. And, you know, to be honest, I, I have never delivered 12-step facilitation formally myself, but I, the goal by the end of going through the protocolized, manualized course is that you refer clients to AA programming. So that's the goal. You work through the program and then you refer them ongoing to AA. I, I mean, I do that all the time, don't, don't you? I mean, people who are in IOP or people who are in residential levels of care, AA is just the natural next step for so many people. Obviously, most programs will have aftercare and some of them are based on AA or based in 12-step philosophy and some are not. But I tend to refer people to AA regardless because it's it's available, it's accessible, and it has good evidence to back it up. I mean, no matter where you travel in the world, you are bound to find an AA meeting and you'll be in an airplane and someone will overhead. Are there friends of Bill 
who can support a person or, you know, I was on vacation in Hawaii and a friend of mine said, Hey, I'm going to AA at five o'clock on the tennis court. Do you want to come? Everywhere you go, you're going to find the support of this particular mindset and like-minded. That's a natural progression for 12-step facilitation to refer to, to AA. Thank you, Paula. I think it's a great review. So just some of the methods of this study. So like we said before, this is a Cochrane review. And what they did is they went through all the major databases and went back from inception to August 2nd of 2019. The studies that they were looking at, and just for some background for our non-academics and our students out there, you can go to the Himmelfarb Library website from George Washington University, and they have a great tutorial on Study Design 101, and it explains what we're talking about a little today on what the difference between randomized controlled trials, meta-analysis, Cochrane review, what what all those terms mean. And I'm just going to give a brief description, but yeah, check out that tutorial. It's great. First, what is a randomized controlled trial? This is a study design that randomly assigns participants into an experimental group or control group. And this is directly from their tutorial. As the study is conducted, the only expected difference between the control and experiment groups in a randomized controlled trial is the outcome variable being studied. And thinking about this, with a randomized controlled trial, some of those biases that you can get could potentially have what we call the volunteer bias. The population of participants may not represent the whole, thinking that the people that volunteer to participate in the study. We have people who are what we call lost to follow-up. They may not participate through the entire study, but it does have a lot of benefit. You can get good randomization. We'll wash out a lot of those population biases. It's a lot easier to blind or what we call mask than observational. And results can be analyzed with good statistical tools. That's the basics. And that's what we're looking at in this study is randomized controlled trials and then quasi-experiments. And then quasi-experiment is when you have an empirical intervention study used to estimate the causal impact of an intervention on a target population without random assignment. What that means is, so sometimes you're not, it's not ethical or it's not really practical to do a true experiment on a population. And when that happens, you just have to understand you're going to have some low internal validity. So you have decreased confidence that is this going to be a causal factor that the results that you're getting. Yeah. Does that make sense, Paula? That's the difference between when you have randomized and non-randomized controlled trials and quasi. That's what these are a comparison of. Results of this study showed it was a total of 27 studies. 21 of them were randomized controlled trials, quasi experiments, five non-randomized and one purely economic study contained 10,565 participants were included. Okay, Alcoholics Anonymous and Therapeutic Step Interventions performed at least as well as established active comparison treatments. For example, cognitive behavioral therapy on all outcomes, except for abstinence where it often outperformed other treatments. That's really 
amazing, yeah, Paula, I mean, don't you the think? The fact that, you know, AA comes under quite a lot of scrutiny, and the authors of the paper say in their discussion that there's been confusion about its clinic utility and its public health utility, and that's why it needed to be evaluated more carefully. It was it was looked at in Project Match. Do you remember the Project Match paper in 1997? Yes. But this is a really, this really is a landmark paper because it's so vast being a Cochrane review and showing that it, that AA and 12-step facilitation is better and the outcomes are better than other well-established treatments. Not pharmacotherapy. We're not talking, it's, it was not compared directly to pharmacotherapy such as naltrexone or disulfiram or acamprosate, but versus cognitive behavioral therapy or motivational enhancement therapies, this did, um, and, and it was at least as effective as some other established treatments in terms of reducing intensity of drinking and alcohol-related consequences. There were some other interesting findings yes. which you want to talk about, including the reduced cost. Oh, the reduced cost is really interesting. So one of the points of the paper that they made was overall healthcare costs. And this was one particular study, and that was Mund et al. from 2012 found that for each additional 12-step meeting attended, there was a medical cost reduction of 4.7% during the seven year. That's 4.7% per meeting. This is per meeting. Isn't that so interesting? And there was another one. Humphreys and Moose 2001 found that compared with inpatients, AA and 12-step facilitation, those initially treated in CBT programs had a 64% higher annual health care cost versus 45% lower when they were AA. Isn't that interesting. So overall, I mean, they just showed that across the board, their study showed lower healthcare costs, particularly AA. It's free free, and it's accessible. You don't have to have a private therapist. You don't have to have access to an outpatient program or an IOP. You don't have to have insurance. You do have to have a way to get to AA, I guess, and or you do have to have Wi-Fi and a phone or, or a computer. I guess those would be the minimum requirements to participate and a desire to participate. Okay. Evidence suggests that 42% of participants participating in AA would remain completely abstinent one year later compared to 35% of participants receiving other treatments, including CB. So it's 42% compared to 35%. The conclusions of this study showed that AA and 12-step facilitation interventions produce similar benefits to other treatments on all drinking-related outcomes, except for continuous abstinence and remissions, where AA and 12-step facilitations is superior. Again, this was not compared to medication-assisted treatment. AA and 12-step facilitation also reduces health care costs. Clinically implementing one of these proven manualized AA or 12-step facilitation interventions is likely to enhance outcomes for individuals with alcohol use disorders, and it produces health economic benefits as well. And I would agree, Paula. I mean, I think the data shows that, and we yes, see we that do. in and practice, And the one thing, this is more you? clinical. I keep chiming in with clinical things, but I mean, this is a, just a really important study because it, it or increased savings, reduced cost, and increased abstinence-based 
on AA or 12-step facilitation engagement compared to similar treatments, but it doesn't, it may not, and the authors make reference to this, it may not be unique to AA. It might be transferable to other uh, mutual aid meetings that operate under similar kind of auspices, such as uh, Smart Recovery, Life Ring, Women for Sobriety, Dharma Recovery. Those kinds of groups may confer similar benefits, and those kinds of meetings are becoming much more popular, especially on and the internet and they're so accessible again so if clinically you have patients or clients who really resist AA and a lot of people I find they just have it in their head that they don't want to go to AA maybe they went to one meeting and they didn't like it or they're again they're against the theological aspect of it you can encourage them and refer them to one of the multiple mutual help platforms that they may identify with whether online or in person, recognizing, and we do have increasing data and evidence to support peer coaching and peer-driven support is so important. Yeah, I think that was also brought up in the paper, that exactly that peer support, and it's important to have structure. The, the key thing is a well-moderated group. Having written protocol, the literature, and the structures is why they're successful and why patients do well. Yeah. I think it's great. One I think that's an thing, excellent point. As we encourage our patients and our clients to go to AA, as providers, as learners, as residents, medical students, therapists, we should go to AA and understand it. I think that's an important concept of you is to understand where we're referring to, to learn more about the organization. It's a fast, very impressive, very influential um, organization with far-reaching effects. And if we're going to refer people to it, we should understand what we're referring people to. And uh, some of us may have bias about it based on our own experience or what we think it is or isn't, or what our clients or patients tell us about it. I think it's worth looking into ourselves and educating ourselves before you make a decision and then look at some of the data either from project match or from this um, paper before you make a and and use this as kind of an evidence-based platform when families come to you or when patients come to you and say what are my best chances of staying abstinent what can i do and in combination with evidence-based pharmacotherapies that no drinking days so abstinence we can now encourage with some high level of confidence based on this Cochrane review, we can recommend Alcoholics Anonymous and 12-step facilitation treatments for alcohol use disorder. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Paula. Until next time. Hey, check us out at theaddictionfiles.com or email us at theaddictionfiles at gmail.com. Thank you so much to Ricky Valides for use of his song, Awake. Check him out at rickyvalides.com. purposes only. Hosts and guests are not responsible for any harm caused by information obtained from this source. As each person is unique, you're advised to seek the advice of your own healthcare professional to treat any medical conditions you may be having. Opinions expressed on this show are those of the addiction files and not of our respective employers.